Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. This was a time when God was saying to his people, read my word. And in reading the word, God was saying, I'm going to watch over it to perform it. They have the law and the prophets. God had a message for the nation of Israel and he was speaking through Jeremiah. Tonight we take a look at Jeremiah's first vision from God. Let's Let's join Dr. Corbett now. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to take the truth of your word and put it into our hearts, oh God. Lord, as it enters into our hearts through our minds, We pray, Lord, that our minds would be convinced that this is true, this is reasonable, so that, Lord, our heart will gladly and warmly receive it and help us to take the truth of what we're going to look at today and apply it to our lives so that we are better witnesses for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bible to Jeremiah Chapter 1, we're continuing our epic series on Jeremiah. Chapter 1, a little bit of recapping. You know that we're going to be introduced to this extraordinary prophet. He would be, uh, along with Isaiah, probably a a prophet on on a, a level, on a scale, unlike any other prophet. There is something phenomenally unique about Jeremiah. You remember when in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, around it there, where Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples reported to Jesus, some say that you're Jeremiah. And there's a good reason for that. There's a lot of similarities between Jeremiah and Jesus. They were both young men. They were both single. They both were part of Judah. They both prophesied a message that was largely unaccepted. And so Jesus became associated with Jeremiah for some of those reasons. Both of these prophets foretold of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And in Jeremiah, we're going to read, as we, as we read through these 52-some chapters, that Jeremiah is building to this point where the temple is destroyed. And we read that today and we go, oh yeah, well, big deal. We, and we know it happened. Archaeologists know it happened. I mean, the fact that there's... Um, Right now, today, there's archaeological digs going on around there that, that verify the, the historical account that it happened. We, we have records in Babylon that describe Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, uh, the emperor who did it. So this is a well-substantiated historical piece of data that what Jeremiah spoke about actually did happen. It's a historic event. But I hope that what I can do is put salt in your mouth today. And each of the grains of salt that I put in your mouth will burst into your mind with a question, but why? Why? Why did this happen? Why was the temple destroyed? Why was this God's big deal through Jeremiah? And why was it the final prophecy that Jesus gave was the same as Jeremiah, that the temple would be destroyed? 
of, of which it was. Exactly when Jesus said it would happen. And that expression, the coming of the Lord, is an Old Testament expression that means the Lord is coming to judge. And that's what Jesus said would happen within the generation of his audience. And it did. So here we have Jeremiah. I remind you of Jeremiah's call. We read in the opening five verses or so that, that the Lord calls Jeremiah very early. We're not told how old he was, probably about the age of 12 coming into 13. That was when a boy became a man. He was considered in that category called youth. So Jeremiah, when he was born, the, the king who was reigning in Jerusalem at that time was King Josiah, one of the last good kings. Indeed, if actually not the last good king of Judah. It was about when uh, Jeremiah was born that Josiah became king. And Josiah became king at the age of eight. He was a boy king. And so we have Jeremiah growing up under the, the reign of a, of, a, of a boy king. And then about 12 years later, in what is absolutely remarkable circumstances, the priests discover a copy of the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, the law. They discover it. That's bizarre. It's bizarre that for hundreds of years they had no copy of the Bible. They, they had neglected all the instructions of Scripture. They, they hadn't kept, we were talking before about the seven feasts of Israel. They completely neglected them. They didn't know about them. They'd just forgotten about them. It's bizarre. And when they found the law, they went to an old prophet. And boy, I'll give you a gold star if anyone knows her name. Huldah. H-U-L-D-A-H in English, Huldah. And Huldah says this, because what happens is Josiah reads the Bible. He reads the Bible, then he looks at his kingdom. He looks at his people and he goes... Oh, no, we are a gazillion light years away from this. And he reads the closing chapters of Deuteronomy where the, where the prophet Moses had said, if you keep the covenant, God will bless you. He will keep you. He will prosper you. He will look after you. But if you don't, he will cause a foreign nation to come in and take you out of your land and scatter you to the nations. And I would think that Josiah, probably about the age of 20 now, still got that heart that's tender and open to the Lord, would know that just a few decades ago, that is exactly what did happen in the north. The ten northern tribes of Israel, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms after a civil war, and they were ten to the north and two to the south. Those ten northern kingdoms had completely walked away from God. And a nation called Assyria had come in and taken them away. And Josiah is now staring down the barrel of the same gun, going, we're no better. This is certainly our doom unless we reform. And he became the last reforming king. And one of the first things he did as they went to the prophet Holder, the prophet Holder said, yes, you have read the law correctly. She read it. She sought the Lord, the word of the Lord 
the word of Scripture. She gave in the Spirit of the Lord the prophecy that if you turn to the Lord with all your heart, the Lord will stay his hand. And that is exactly what happened. They instituted a Passover feast and the law was commanded to be taught throughout Israel. Jeremiah's father was a priest. It would have been his duty to teach it in the village of Anathoth. And Jeremiah would have grown up from around that time, around about the age of 12, hearing the law every day. Hearing the law every day. And this is an important point and we're going to bring it out really big in a moment. So Jeremiah was called very young and at about this age, when he himself became a man, God began to open his eyes and he began to see what had always been there. But now he began to see it differently. He began to see through the filter of the word of God, the lives of the people around him. And this is what Jeremiah was going through. There was something happening deep within Jeremiah. In in verse 6, we see Jeremiah's response to the Lord, where he says, I'm just a youth. You can't use me. But God often uses the obscure, the people easy to overlook. And Jeremiah would have been one of them. He would have been, I guess, for his day, the equivalent of a geek, son of a priest, boring. But God chose him. He chose him as a young man, not only to speak to Israel, but to speak beyond Israel, to speak to nations. And Jeremiah had to stretch his vision to nations beyond him. And now as we move beyond his immediate call, I want to begin to look at the very first prophecy he gave. And it came rather indirectly. I'm going to have a look at this in a moment. So we're going to call this Jeremiah's challenge. So here comes his first challenge to the people of Israel. We're going to find that the prophecies that Jeremiah got often came in the form of visions, words, feelings... At one point, Jeremiah says, I I tried to stop. I I, I didn't want to go on prophesying, but your word was like a fire in my bones and I couldn't keep quiet. And we're going to find that, that when God actually called Jeremiah and he's going to remind Jeremiah several times of this, I have put my words in your mouth. And it's a picture that perhaps we could miss that God had not just put his words into his mind, not just given him words to speak, but he had taken his word and put it into him. And Jeremiah felt it. He felt it. And we're going to see that as he gives this challenge, this is something he can't escape. And essentially, Jeremiah's challenge was this. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Or you will suffer the consequences because Israel at this time, Judah at this time, was, was not just a nation. It was a covenant nation. It was a nation that had said, we will serve the Lord and him only. We will make him our God. So this is not just a nation. This is a special nation. And Jeremiah is going to challenge them. So let's have a look at his first vision. This is a curious one. We're reading in verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying... I want you to notice that. The word of the Lord came to me, saying... 
listen to the first part of the word of the Lord. What, Jeremiah, what do you see? I find that really intriguing. Jeremiah was seeing the word of the Lord. Seeing the word of the Lord. And I said, I see an almond branch. This is an interesting thing that we're going to see throughout the book of Jeremiah where God uses pictures, word pictures. The, the, the Hebrew word for almond tree is saked. And there's another Hebrew word that sounds very, very similar. It's soked. And saked is, is a word, it's kind of like a nickname given to this tree. And it's, it's, what, it's, it's the word in English like awaker. It awakens. It's awaker. And it's a reference to the almond tree because it's kind of the first tree that, that sprouted in spring. It was, the fir- it was the tree that they looked at that said, aha, spring is on the way. It awakens the spring. It, it, it comes in early. It, it's a quick tree to blossom. So it's a play on words because the word sockhead means to watch over. It's, a very, it's just one little vowel inflection difference in the Hebrew. So God is, is speaking to Jeremiah in very, very poetic terms. Very poetic terms. And, and we, we have this, this reference now where, where God is saying to Jeremiah, what I'm about to do, I'm going to do quickly. So I want you, as you read texts like this, I, I would hope you would ask, do what quickly? Do what? Let's, let's engage with the text and let's, let's see if we can read on. Verse 12, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now let's not rush past this. When Jeremiah was being called by God, the law, that's a, a short way of saying the Bible, what they had then as the Bible was discovered. God ordained it to be discovered. He ordained it to be distributed and read. This was a time when God was saying to his people, read my word. And in reading the word, God was saying, I'm going to watch over it to perform it. Do you remember when the rich man and Lazarus both died? Remember the story Jesus told, I think it's in Luke 16, where Jesus told the story that Lazarus went to be comforted in that place of the dead and before the cross, the dead went to a place, a dimension in the spiritual realm called Hades, the holding place of the dead. And in one holding place, the righteous went to. And Abraham, Jesus said, was there. And Lazarus, this poor man that had begged for food, to even the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table, who was treated abusively by the rich man, died and he went to this place. And Jesus said, he is now being comforted. That's an interesting perspective on how to view this life, by the way. This life is not all there is. And Jesus then describes the rich man going into the other place of the dead. And that it says, was a place where the man was tormented. Where does the idea of hell come from? Jesus. 
and justice. The rich man is in hell in this, in this compartment of the dead and he's being tormented. And I would say in the story, it comes out pretty clearly, this man knew he deserved to be there. He doesn't dispute that he doesn't deserve to be there. But this is what he says to Abraham. You remember the story? Abraham, send Lazarus over. The gall of the man. Still wanting to boss Lazarus around. Just to bring a drop of that water you're comforting and refreshing him with. Just to give me a drop. And Abraham says, no, we can't. It's not that I won't, it's that I can't. We, we, we can't do it. There is a, a great un, uh, uncrossable chasm between us. And then the rich man, you remember what the rich man says next? He says, then send someone from this place, the dead, to go and tell my, how many brothers? Anyone know? Five. Well done, that was a clue. Five brothers. That they might be warned so that they don't come here. I wonder what people in that place today would say to us. Because this man is saying, I know I deserve to be here. I've lived the kind of life where I put myself first. I rejected God. I rejected his word. I was flippant with the things of God. I'm now paying the price. But oh, Abraham, I don't want my five brothers to come here. Please send someone from the dead from this place to them so that they can know what it's like because I don't want them to spend eternity with me here. You remember what Abraham says? Very interesting. No. Even if someone came from the dead, they wouldn't believe. The amazing thing is that the one who is telling this story would come from the dead to warn people about this eternity. The amazing thing is that that's not where it stops because Abraham then says they don't need someone to come back from the dead to tell them what this place is like. They have the what? The law and the prophets, which is a way of saying the word of God. When God wants to do a work in a society, the way he's going to do it is to promote his word, to promote his word. Part of the prayer that I have as pastor of this church is that we will be people acquainted with the word. Just feel to share a little story with you. There was a man who came to his pastor after the pastor had also encouraged his congregation to read the word. Read the word, make it a daily habit, read the word. The man came to the pastor and said, look, pastor, I've tried that. Look, I read it. I just kind of blank out. I phase out. I, I, I can't remember what I read. It's just, I, I just, no point to me reading the Bible if I can't remember what I'm reading. I, I don't engage with it. I can't. And the pastor said, young man, just in the kitchen there, there's a wicker basket. Could you just go and get that and fill it with water for 10 minutes, please? And the guy said, no, no, I'm not talking to you about wicker baskets. I'm talking to you about, there's no, about your sermon. I'm challenging you with your sermon. There's no point to me reading the Bible because I can't remember what I read. It's just, I, I, you know, it's, young man, go to the kitchen. There's a wicker basket there. I want you to fill it with water for 10 minutes. 
So the young man says, okay, humours the pastor. Goes to the kitchen, finds the wicker basket, puts it under the tap, and of course, for 10 minutes, there's water flowing through it. And no matter what part of the wicker basket he put the, the water flow, it wouldn't hold water. He put it all through the wicker basket. It just would not hold water. And he did it for 10 minutes. And he came to the pastor after 10 minutes with this dripping wet wicker basket. And he said, look, I don't know what you were thinking, but this thing's never going to hold water. And he said, yes, but doesn't it look cleaner? for having experienced the washing of water. And that's what the Word of God can do, even to you who think you can't retain it. It will wash you cleaner. Just read it. Just read it. God says, I'm watching over my Word to perform it. So Jeremiah sees this pot which was for boiling water, and he saw it tip from the north to the south. And we read in the text, verse 14, The Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon, the inhabitant, upon all the inhabitants of the land. Behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls and around and against all the cities of Judah. Boy. Well, what we perhaps don't know is the background to this is that at that time, around about this time, there was a world empire. It was called Assyria. It had already taken the northern tribes of Israel away. And it was about the time that Jeremiah was called that uh, Emperor Ashurbanipal died. He was the Assyrian emperor. Assyria is kind of that region of Iran today. And when Jeremiah is prophesying that out of the north will come disaster, kingdoms will come from the north and take over, you could easily imagine this. Aha, uh -huh, the next, the successor to the emperor Ashurbanipal is going to come with the Assyrian forces and take us over too. That's what you would think because that's what it looked like in the natural. Now, here's an interesting thing. God never said that. And it's not until chapter 20 that God specifically names who he's actually talking about. Now, this is an interesting point, that sometimes we read Scripture and we think we know what God means. We think we know it. Even if you get a personal word of prophecy, and I guess I wanted to at this point just make a distinction between New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament, a prophecy that occurs in Scripture, carries an authority with it that, that is unshakable. New Testament prophecy, on the other hand, where it talks about the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, is of a different nature. And it says that it needs to be judged and evaluated by others who, who have the gift of prophecy. It means that under the gifting of the Spirit today, somebody may get it wrong and they need to be held to account. It's a different type of prophecy. Here Jeremiah speaks this word. He may well have thought he was referring to the Assyrians as well. 
It's just an interesting point. But what they didn't realise was that there was a seemingly insignificant king who was conquering the nations around his own empire. So Nebuchadnezzar was a seemingly insignificant king who was becoming an emperor and eventually, 16 years after the call of Jeremiah, became the world emperor. He took on the Assyrians, he wiped them out. He took on the Egyptians, he wiped them out. He took on the Syrians, he wiped them out. This man was becoming a potent force. And what we're going to read in the account of the history of the kings of Israel, which Jeremiah wrote, if you're reading First and Second Kings wondering who wrote this, it was Jeremiah. He wrote it. And what you're going to read in there is an occasion when Hezekiah, during the reign of Hezekiah, welcomes these envoys from Babylon who come in and it says Hezekiah showed them all of the gold, all of the treasures of the temple, and then they left. And we have the prophet Isaiah going to King Hezekiah going, who were they? Oh, they were the envoys from Babylon, an insignificant little place over, the, over there. And the prophet Isaiah utters these words to the king of Judah. You fool, you have now sealed the fate of your country, but not in your lifetime. In your lifetime, you'll see out your days in peace. And here's the amazingly short-sighted king Hezekiah hears that word and he says, oh, praise God. As long as I'm okay. And that's one of the blights on the church. As long as I'm okay. And now we're in that day that Isaiah spoke about, Jeremiah's speaking about, and increasingly Jeremiah throughout his ministry is going to become gripped by the word of God, gripped by the word of God. And I want you to consider this. Very little of what Jeremiah actually prophesied was new revelation. Very little of it. It was already established in Scripture. Jeremiah simply reminded the people of what was already in Scripture. And you know what really ticks me off? Do you want to know what really ticks me off? is when I hear people say, God's got a new revelation for the church. I feel like getting my 1,106 pages of my Bible and introducing them to it. (laughs) God's, God's got a revelation for the church and it's on your lap, it's in your hand. This is it. You don't need a new revelation. Good preaching, Andrew. This is it. Now, you may need a fresh understanding of this revelation, but you don't need any more revelation than this. What does God want to say to you? Chances are he's saying it to you right now through his word. Chances are. Jeremiah was becoming increasingly gripped by the word of God. Do you want to be? I want to be. I want to read this and I want to feel it. I want to see it. I want to see the world through this. I want to become the kind of compassionate person that God wants me to be. I want to become like Jesus. Jesus knew the word. Jeremiah knew the word. These men were gripped by the word. Down to verse 17. Actually, we'll go verse 16. Here's the question I want to ask, and we're going to bring this to a close. God's saying, 
I'm, I'm going to bring judgment on Judah. I'm going to bring judgment on this city. Hardly anyone's going to be left alive. And if, they, if, if there's anyone alive, they'll be taken away. The city's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. And we're going to see as we go through this book that the people were scoffing at Jeremiah. They're going, no, that can't be right. That cannot be right. God would never allow this city to be destroyed. This is the city where his temple is. You can't destroy this city. Especially God wouldn't do it. His temple's here. And Jeremiah's going to go, you don't get it. It's not about the temple. It's about your heart belonging to God. And you know what? It still is. It still is. And this is what we read in verse 16. And I will declare my righteous judgments against them. For all their evil in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. Verse 17, But you, dress yourself for work, arise, say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Whoa. I don't know how God would do that, but I wouldn't want to find out. So here's, here's the answer to the question. Why was God so upset? And maybe that's a new concept for you. God gets upset. Maybe you've got a concept that God is like Santa Claus. Just jolly and happy and everybody we all just love. The world will just go around so much nicer. Maybe it's a new concept for you to realize that God takes worship very, very seriously. And, and sometimes we think to sin, you've got to murder people and you've got to do a whole batch of stuff that's really bad. But sometimes to sin, you've just got to do good things and make them the most important things. You see, Lucifer was created good, but he wasn't to be superior. God was. And what he sought to do was to make himself superior. You know, you can take a good thing and make it into an idol. A good thing. Food. Drink. Activity. It can be a good thing. But if you make it the main thing, you make it a superior thing, the Bible calls that idolatry. And sometimes the hardest people to help recognise their sin are those people who are good, who don't realise they're not good enough. We all need a saviour. Jeremiah saw the sin of his people. He saw what was happening. What do we learn from Jeremiah? I want you to come with me, the, the closing couple of verses. We firstly see that God really does care about how you worship and where you worship. We're going to read on in, in Jeremiah where the prophet elaborates on what he's introduced here. And he says, these people worship me for a pretense. They look like they're worshipping me, but they're not. They look like they're good, but they're not. So idolatry is misplaced worship. And you don't need a statue that you bow down to to be an idolater. It could be a relationship you're in. Many people with an obesity problem, it's actually a worship problem. They're worshipping the wrong thing. Idolatry is misplaced worship. 
Notice how God says over and over, I've put my word in your mouth. I'm watching over my word to perform it. What does that tell us about the condition of the people of Judah? It tells us that they had ignored the word of God, completely ignored the word of God. What does that tell us today? Today, this generation, unlike any other generation in the history of mankind, where we probably have at least a copy of the whole Bible, I've got about 27 of them. I don't know how many you've got. The Word of God has never been more available. But only 2% of Christians have ever read it from cover to cover. We need to be so familiar with the Word of God that when somebody stands behind a pulpit on a TV or wherever they stand and say, I've got a fresh revelation for you from God and it doesn't bear any resemblance to Scripture, I hope you can go, that's nice, but that's not for me. And I hope you can hear someone read the Word and, and when, they t- when they say, well, that doesn't mean what it says, what that means is this, I hope you can go, well, I'm going to check you out. I'm going to weigh up Scripture with Scripture and see if it's the case. That's what was not happening. And so if we want to understand the mind of the Lord, we've got to understand the Word of the Lord. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Understand His Word, you'll understand His mind. Come with me now down to verse 18 and 19. Verse 18. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Verse 19. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Boy, if I was Jeremiah, I would love to hear that. I am with you. I am with you. They won't prevail. And you know, we have the record throughout these 52 or so chapters that God indeed was with Jeremiah. He caused Jeremiah to stand. You know, it says in Romans 11.20, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. Scripture tells us in the New Covenant that we are to stand with God's help. Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse, uh, Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Just as Jeremiah was told to stand against the schemes coming against him, we, the New Testament believer, also told to take a stand. Let's pray. Father, we want no obstacle between us and you. We especially do not want between us and you the good things in our life to come in our way between us. Lord, we don't want to replace the best with the good. We want you to be best in our life, first preeminent in our life. Father, we don't want to misplace our worship. We don't want to have hearts that are hard. Father, do a work in my heart. Help me to be sensitive to your word 
and to your spirit. Help me to yield to you, I pray. Help me to understand your heart and your mind as I understand your word. Now, Lord, I pray that we would be gripped by your word. Father, if there be those listening to me right now who feel that life has no hope, I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who gives hope. You give positive options for the future. You are a God who can redeem broken lives. I thank you, Lord, that right now you are a God who heals sick bodies, even today. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who, with your word, can still the confusion of people's minds. So right now I pray that you would confirm the word with signs following. Let the sick be healed, the confused receive peace. Those seeking direction receive wisdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Jeremiah receives his first vision from God for the Israelite nation. For a CD copy of tonight's message, the third in the series on Jeremiah, please contact Lagana Media via the website findingtruthmatters.org or at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Podcasts and other resources are also available from the Finding Truth Matters website. To subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.